Now, as we said, we have one more week on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We are studying our doctrinal statement, what we believe, why we believe it, where these truths are found in the Bible. This all of very great importance. We can expect our beliefs to be challenged and we need to be firmly grounded, firmly rooted in the truth of God's Word. What your parents said, what your preacher said, not going to be enough to sustain you throughout your life. You need to decide for yourself what is true from the Word of God. And we believe the Lord Jesus Christ to be God manifest in the flesh, virgin born, without sin, crucified, risen and coming again to receive his church, then returning to establish his kingdom. We've studied from the Bible the deity of Jesus Christ, the fact that he is, always was, always will be very God. We've studied the humanity of Jesus Christ, that God became a man, put on human flesh, and lived 33 and one-half years on this earth. His humanity in no way diminished his deity. His deity in no way diminished his humanity. He experienced what we experienced. He returned to heaven as a man seated on the right hand of God. And as our great high priest touched with the feeling of our infirmities, made perfect through the things which he suffered, and he learned how to better help us in temptation by that experience his humanity and his deity combined necessitated a virgin birth. And that is a great miracle of the Bible. Uh, because he was God, he was without sin. And because of all of that, he could be crucified, which was the reason that he came. It was prophesied and predicted and pictured all throughout the Old Testament. It was foretold throughout Christ's ministry, though the disciples never quite understood or received uh, what he was saying at the time, but it's in fact what Christ did. It's not only written of in the Bible, it's established historically the resurrection, one of the greatest historical uh, facts that there is, and we'll study that in the coming weeks. But this week, one more look at the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross, why he died, what it means, what we ought to do about it, a number of references under three different headings this morning. But before we do that, I just want you to fill in at the top of your outline the chapters in the gospel records where you can find the accounts of the crucifixion. Each of the four gospels gives basically two chapters describing the events that took place around Christ's betrayal and arrest and trial and sentence and crucifixion. They're all followed up by a chapter on his resurrection, the details and the order of events will differ slightly according to the theme and focus of each gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all describe the same person and the same life and the same ministry, that of Jesus Christ, but each from a different angle. Matthew emphasizing his role as king of the Jews. Mark emphasizing his role as God's servant. Luke emphasizing Christ as the perfect man. John emphasizing the deity, the word that was in the beginning and was made flesh. But the events will include the Last Supper, the betrayal, the trial, the crucifixion. Matthew's gospel is chapters 26 and 27. Matthew 26 and 27 detail the crucifixion of Christ. In Mark, it's chapters 14 and 15. Mark 14 and 15 are the chapters 
on the cross, Luke 22 and 23. Luke 22 and 23. What you have in Luke that you don't have in the other Gospels is the name of Mount Calvary. It's also omitted from uh, modern versions. What you have in Luke 23 that you don't have in the other Gospels is the repentance of the thief at Jesus' side who said, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. The greatest argument against salvation by works has to be the salvation of the dying thief. He had no time to do any good works to get saved, but Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. John chapters 18 and 19. What's interesting about John is we actually start way back in chapter 13 is the evening of uh, the evening prior to the crucifixion. John 13 through John 19 all take place in the span of 24 to 48 hours. So a lot of detail in the gospel of John, but John 18 and 19 specifically about the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, three different headings this morning, and as I said, a lot of scripture references, so we'll go quickly. What Jesus did when he died on the cross, and I just want you to write the, the truth covered by the verses over the side, and then what Jesus made possible when he died on the cross, and then how we should respond, what we ought to do about it. The first is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 3, where the Bible says, this, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. What did Jesus do when he died on the cross? He didn't just set a great example of forgiveness. What did Jesus do when he died on the cross? He didn't just die a martyr's death. What did Jesus do when he died on the cross? He died for our sins. He was making a payment that was necess necessitated by the holiness of God. He was offering himself so that sins could be forgiven. He was bearing punishment that others deserved. He died for our sins. If sin had not entered the world, the cross would not have been necessary. But because sin entered the world, the cross was the only way for God to be a Savior, for us to live with Him, for His original purposes to be accomplished. Christ died for our sins. Here's what I want to do this morning. The rest of these references you are going to read and we are going to discuss. So I'm just going to go ahead and assign these out. You will look them up and read them aloud. Uh, Michael, you'll be Galatians 1, 4. You can turn there. Christian, 1 Peter 2, 24. You can turn there. You can see how this is going to work. Brian, Isaiah 53 and verse number 6. These all go on their same heading. We'll do these together. Galatians 1, 4. 1 Peter 2, 24. Isaiah 53, 6. Michael, whenever you're ready. Okay, who gave himself for our sins. He gave himself for our sins. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by the stripes ye were healed. Okay, we'll come back to this verse later, but what does 1 Peter 2.24 says? He bear our sins in his body on the tree. When you think about that verse, 
Think about it this way. We are responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. You might not have been present. None of us were present. Nobody here pounded the nails in his hands, laid the whip across his back, beat the crown of thorns upon his head, but Christ would not have died that death had our sins not so offended a holy God. It was my sin that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. It was your sin that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. You witness the people and everybody wants to justify themselves and I'm a good person and I'm not all that bad and I've never done anything horrible and I've never killed anybody. I'm not, come on, you've heard those things. But, but anybody you speak to who is a sinner is guilty of the death of Jesus Christ. It was for their sins that he had to die. That's a serious offense. That's a serious thing. He bare our sins in his body on the tree. Isaiah 53, 6. Okay. That's, that, that, that is a significant phrase. That's an important phrase. That is what they call a pregnant phrase. It is full of meaning, like a woman is full of baby. But he, he, I lost my train of thought. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. God took my sin, put it on Jesus. God took your sin, put it on Jesus. Jesus, it was a substitutionary death. I should have died. I should have been, I should have been the one bearing the judgment of God. I should be the one drinking the cup of God's wrath. But God took what I deserved, and because Christ did not deserve it, He could bear that for me. He died for our sins. Gets a little bit more personal. Romans 6, 5 through 8, Warren, and 1 John 3, 16, Emma. 5 or 6? Uh, Romans 5, 6 through 8. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet for adventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. He died, verse 6, for the ungodly. Why? Because we were without strength. The fact that Jesus Christ died upon the cross ought to forever defeat any arguments about anyone saving themselves. If you could save yourself, then what was the point of God's Son being beaten and tortured and crucified? The reason he did that is because we are hopeless and helpless without him. He died for the ungodly while we were yet sinners. That didn't negate his love. That didn't stop him from loving us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So not just for sins. Christ died for sinners. 1 John 3.16 So it was God dying upon the cross. Here's a great verse on the deity of Jesus Christ. But it was God dying on the cross for us. For us. It's important that we make it personal. I grew up in church and I've known the gospel as long as I've known anything. I don't remember not knowing that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. I don't remember not knowing that sin in the world through Adam and Eve and that 
Everybody's a sinner. I don't remember not knowing that anybody can be saved by trusting Jesus Christ. I don't remember not knowing that everybody who doesn't trust Jesus Christ is going to die and spend a Christless eternity in a devil's hell. I don't remember not knowing any of those things, but I do remember the day that I came to the realization that I was a sinner. That Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That Jesus died for me. That if I didn't trust in him, I would spend eternity devil's hell. That was the day I bowed my head and asked the Lord to save me and asked him to forgive my sins and receive the salvation that he offers by his grace. But it had to become very personal. Have you made it personal? There been a day when you said, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He died for me in my place. And I am going to claim the payment that he made. It's not just for sin. He died for sinners. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Ruth. Isaiah 53.10, Rebecca. Galatians 3.13, Rachel. What else did Jesus do? When he died upon the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. All right, all these are great verses that we ought to be familiar with and have ready when we're trying to witness to somebody. He, God, the Father, hath made him, Jesus, God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin. So many truths packed into this one verse, Jesus Christ, the sinless substitute and sacrifice, not only did he die for sinners, not only did he die for sins, he was made sin. When Jesus died on the cross, the first thing he said, the first of seven things recorded in the Gospels, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He wasn't only quoting from the Old Testament, he was pointing out the fact That God the Father turned his back on God the Son because as God the Son hung upon the cross, he became very sin for us. Isaiah 53, verse 10. His soul was an offering for sin. When the high priest, we, we, we mentioned this last time, when the high priest would offer the lamb or the ram or the ox for sacrifice, what would he do? He would lay his head upon that animal. And, and in doing so, he would confess the sins of the people and the nation and, and thereby impart the sins to that sacrifice. The sacrifice would be killed and thus the sins would be put away. That's all a picture of what Jesus did for us. God took our sin put it on Christ. He became sin for us. He took those sins away. Galatians 3.13. Okay, so he not only becomes sin, he became a curse for us. Remember Genesis chapter 3, the man, the woman, they disobey God. They eat the fruit. And what does God do? He comes and he pronounces A curse upon the serpent, a curse upon the woman, a curse upon the man. This world is under the curse of God through sin, but Jesus Christ became a curse for us. He will thereby remove the curse from us and 
from the earth, but he died for sins. He died for sinners. He became sin. He became a curse. What did Jesus make possible when he died on the cross? Essence, Romans 1, 16. Delaney, 1 Corinthians 1, just give me 18 and 21. Elijah, Colossians 2, 14. And Caden, read again for us Galatians 3, 13. Here's what Jesus made possible when he died on the cross. Essence, Romans 1, 16. Very good. In 1 Corinthians 18, 1, 18 and 21. Here's what's possible. We can be saved. We can be delivered. We can be rescued from the penalty of sin. That's an eternity. Praise the Lord. From the power of sin in our daily lives from the presence of sin when you enter a new heaven and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness here's what jesus made possible when you died on the cross salvation was not possible any other way was not possible the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins but we can be saved today we can say i am saved only because jesus died upon the cross now uh yesterday evening gathered around the bedside of brother john douglas a man whose life was radically transformed by the power of the gospel. And it just becomes so evident how important that it is that you're saved. And what a difference that it makes when you're saved. Because here lies the body of a man who is no longer here on the earth. His soul is departed. He's in heaven with the Lord. And there's sorrow and there's tears but there is this strange mixture of happiness and gladness and joy because the man was delivered. He was rescued. He was saved this morning. He's rejoicing in the presence of the Lord. Salvation makes all the difference. And it's only possible because Jesus died on the cross. Colossians 2.14 One of the many references we could cite for forgiveness. Forgiveness is made possible by the cross. A lot of people trusting in the fact that God is forgiving, and He is. He is ready to pardon, the Old Testament says. He is ready to forgive, the Old Testament says. There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared, Psalm 130 and verse number 4. But there has to be a basis for forgiveness. God cannot arbitrarily forgive. That would be a violation of His justice and His holiness and His righteousness. The basis of God's forgiveness is the death of Jesus Christ. You witness to people, you talk to people, and they, they, they trust in the forgiveness of God, but they've not done what is necessary in order to receive that forgiveness, and that's to call on the one who paid for the forgiveness when he died on the cross. The verse says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Hopefully none of you have any legal history. Hopefully none of you have a criminal record. That's a very bad thing to have. You should strive to live your entire life without one. But if you have one, it's a big deal for that record to be expunged. For them to take off the record what was 
on the record, and though you may not have been caught violating the laws of the United States of America, each of us have violated God's laws and God's commandments, and it's on the record. God has it written down, but Jesus Christ, he paid for it all, and my record is expunged. I have been justified, declared righteous, my Innocence is well established in the court of heaven. I've been forgiven only because Jesus died in my place. Galatians 3.13, Caden. Okay, so redemption is the next item to add to the list. Quite a list. What Christ made possible. Salvation, forgiveness, redemption. That we could belong to God. Be translated from the power of darkness the kingdom of his dear son. God purchased us. He bought us. He owns us this morning because Jesus paid the price with his own blood. Uh, let's go to Elise, 1 Peter 2.24, Oriah, Titus 2.14, Carlos, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20, Owen, Romans 5 and verse 20. One. Let's read those. First Peter two twenty four, Titus two fourteen, Colossians one twenty, Romans five verse one. Go ahead, Elise. Praise the Lord. Go ahead, Oriah. Okay. So the next item on the list is righteousness. This, this has two applications. Righteousness, that is in the eyes of God. He declares us righteous. Christ is our righteousness. But it's more than that. He makes possible righteousness in this life. What was not possible before we knew Jesus Christ now is possible through his stripes we are healed. And that's not a physical healing from every sickness and disease. That is a healing for our souls. That is a power to live a righteous life. He redeemed us from all iniquity to purify himself, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20, Carlos. Praise the Lord. To reconcile all things in himself. You and I, Romans 5, were God's enemies. Now we're his child. There was enmity between us, and now, Romans 5, 1, what is there instead? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. Reconciliation. Only made possible because Jesus Christ, he's our daysman. He was God. He was man. He could place his hand on both. And through his cross... He could bring the two together. Ashley, Ephesians 2, 13 through 16. All those verses. And then Alexi, Romans 6, 6. And Emma, Galatians 2, 20. Then Lauren, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 10. Go ahead, Ashley. But now in Christ Jesus, he who sometimes are far off, are being To make himself one new man, one new man, so make 
and that he might reconcile both with God in one body by the cross, having slain the enemy. Okay, so Colossians 1 and Romans 5 spoke about our reconciliation to God, but Ephesians 2 speaks of our reconciliation to one another. The two, the twain, the both in Ephesians 2 is Jew and Gentile. There was this enmity between them. There was this law that one had and the other did not. But because Jesus Christ died for all men and and shed his blood for the forgiveness and the salvation of all mankind. Now Jew and Gentile can be brought together in one, in Christ. And what God made possible, what Christ made possible when he died on the cross for our sins was not only a reconciliation that is vertical, but a reconciliation that is horizontal. All of us this morning from different backgrounds with different personalities and different upbringings and maybe not a whole lot else in common, but this morning we're together and we're unified and we're one because of Jesus Christ. A common salvation provides a common bond and brings us together and unites us in an incredible way, reconciliation to one another made possible when Jesus died on the cross. What the world is trying so hard but failing miserably to accomplish, Jesus Christ makes possible because he bought us to himself. Romans 6, 6, Alexi. Okay, listen to that. Our old man crucified with him. Our old man crucified with him. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. So here's what Jesus made possible. Victory over the old man. You no longer have to be what you were. You no longer have to live according to the natural course of this world. You can now overcome your natural tendencies and inclinations because when Jesus died on the cross, not only did He take our sins with Him, He took the old nature with Him and it was crucified there. I am crucified, the Bible says. With Christ, this is how God reckons it. This is how we should reckon it. I don't have to be in, I don't have to live in defeat. I don't have to live in submission to the carnal desires. I can submit the carnal desires to the power of Jesus Christ. He made that possible with his death on the cross. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 10. Okay, so life with him. Now that's eternally. We will enter his presence, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Where he is, there we will be also. But that's on a daily basis. That is ongoing throughout this life because Jesus died on the cross. We live with him. You don't have to go through this life alone. He will never leave you, forsake you, with you all the way to the end of the world. Praise the Lord. So that's what Jesus did. That's some of what Jesus made possible. Four things that we ought to do about it. Gage, Hebrews 10, 29. Brian, Galatians 2, 21. Istvan, Romans 10, 3, and 4. The first point, believe the gospel. Let's hear the verses. Hebrews 10, 29. How much sore punishment suppose he shall he be thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the Son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and have done despot under the Spirit. 
Okay, so consider this. Trampled under their feet the blood of the Son of God. So, God loves you. You're a sinner, but God loves you. God gave his Son to die for your sins. Jesus Christ lived on the earth for 33 and a half years. Perfect, sinless life. Then gave his life, substitute, on the cross, died for your sins, beaten, bloodied, crucified. But three days later, rose again, ascended to heaven, great high priest, sends a preacher to declare this message to you because he wants you forgiven. He wants you saved. He wants you to spend eternity with him. But you ignore it. You reject it. You ridicule and scorn it, or you come up with your own superior alternative. How offensive must that be to a God in heaven? That is just like taking the blood of Jesus Christ and stomping on it with your feet, walking over the blood of the Son of God on your way to hell. If Jesus Christ would do all that, the least that we could do is believe the gospel, trust in him. That ought to be the response to what Jesus did on the cross. Galatians 2.21. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in faith. We mentioned this earlier. Why would Jesus die on the cross if there's something we could do to earn salvation? Makes absolutely no sense at all. This verse says that would frustrate the grace of God. The only reasonable response to the gospel is to believe it, not to contradict it by trying to earn your way to heaven. Galatians 2.21, don't frustrate the grace of God, receive the grace of God. Romans 10, 3 and 4 is fun. Okay, so here's the Jews' problem. They were trying to make themselves righteous instead of submitting to God's righteousness. And that's not an example we ought to follow. Okay, a few more. Romans 14, 9, Mark. Galatians 6, 14, Manoah. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. Mason, a couple final points. Romans 14, 9. Go ahead, Mark. Okay, so to this end, for this purpose, here's, here's a reason. Here is something God wanted accomplished, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and living. So here, here's the response to the gospel. Not only believe it, but make him Lord of your life. See, a lot of people trust Jesus Christ as their Savior because they don't want to go to hell, but they never make him Lord. Lord is the governor. Lord is the ruler. Lord is the one with authority. Lord is the one who tells you what to do and you do it. Have you made him Lord? Maybe you've trusted him as Savior. I hope that you have. If you haven't, you need to. But having trusted him as Savior, does he not deserve to be your Lord? That's why he died. That he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. So make him Lord of your life. Galatians 6.14, Manoah. Okay, so Galatians 6.14, glory in the cross. Glory in the cross. A lot of people, a lot of things they brag about. Have you ever noticed that? A lot of people, a lot of things they're proud of. You ever notice that? A lot of people, a lot of things they like, to, they like others to know about them. You ever notice that? They like to glory in their team. They like to glory in their possessions. They like to glory in 
their talents, their abilities, their exploits, their accomplishments. There are things they want you to know so you will think they are great. But a Christian, a saved person, ought to glory in the cross. Ought to thank God for the cross. Ought to make the cross the motivation, the focal point of their lives. Everything that I do and that I say will be attached to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Glory in the cross. You ought to be proud that, that you're a Christian. You ought to be happy that you've been saved. You ought to not be ashamed that the Savior who died for you is a Savior worth living for and telling people about. Do you glory in the cross? And then final point, 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. Okay, the last phrase in that passage, to be testified. All that God did for us. It's not going to do anybody else any good if we don't tell them about it. So what should we do about it? We should preach the gospel. We should witness. We should tell others. We should testify of the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 says that God reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ said, be ye reconciled to God. So we ought to believe the gospel, but we ought to go past that. We ought to make Jesus Christ Lord of our lives. We ought to glory in the cross. We ought to tell everybody we can what Jesus did for us. If he wasn't ashamed to suffer, bleed and die, hang there on the cross for us, we ought not be ashamed. Tell others how great and wonderful he is. Father, thank you so much uh, for what Jesus Christ did, for what he accomplished. Help us, Lord, to remember the death that he died. Help us, Lord, to bear in mind each and every day uh, what we ought to do because of what Jesus did for us. May we glory in the cross. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.